supersedes truth when facts are the enemy in a time where even Orwell would look at things and shake his head in disbelief in a time when it takes backbone to stand up to the slings and arrows of outrageous deception thank all that's holy you have a voice TNN the truth news network and Dan Newman slings and arrows come on now you can get a better weapon to use against truth than that right Well, I'm going to tell you what, if they don't effectively weaponize things and beat the conservative opposition in this nation, it's certainly not because they haven't tried. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to TNN Live. Many of you are new joining the program. In case you did not know, this is published by www.truthnewsnet.org, and uh, we've been doing it now for a couple of years. We want to thank you. For checking us out today. Share us with others. Make it clear to everybody that you don't have to catch the show live every day. Obviously, most people work. And 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time means most people are at work. So it's tough there. But you never have to miss anything. All these shows end up shortly after we finish the live version to be loaded on and made available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Google, Stitcher, and even Facebook, so you can grab the show, TNN Live, very easily. Already this morning, somebody said, look, uh, I want to be able to get your show all the time. How do I do that if I miss it live? They happen to use it the Android phone. And, of course, I told them, look, you've got an Android phone. It's real easy, easier just to go to Google. And she went to Google and she clicked on the Google Podcast icon and entered TNN Live. The show homepage popped up. She was all excited. So you can get it on any one of the devices. It doesn't have to be an, an Apple product. It can be an Android product and still get the show anytime. Just wanted to make that clear because we do have a lot of new people that weigh in every day. And unless you know, you don't know. We got to get there. We have a lot of ground to cover here today. My goodness, it just gets bigger and bigger and wider and wider. And to be honest with you, it's disgusting that we have such a tough time getting answers to keep up with the new things coming out, grabbing our attention and deflecting us from a lot of the good stuff. Let me let me just give you a heads up of what's ahead today. Sussman, as we heard yesterday afternoon, Sussman, the attorney for the Hillary Clinton campaign, he was acquitted of the charges against him, levied by Special Attorney John Durham. We're going to get into the details there, but we're not going to start there because I think there's something a little more important for you to be aware of, and a part of it you already are, and that's the fact that everything's getting more and more expensive. Another new high. Another new high in the price of gas. I actually, someone took a picture of a service station in Manhattan. Manhattan, now everything's more expensive up there. I get that. But a gallon of regular gas this morning was $8.10. Now think about that for a moment. One gallon, $8.10. I ride a motorcycle often. I have a Harley, and it's got a five-gallon tank. So... 
way before all this stuff started, all this stuff started with Joe Biden being elected president, but way before that happened, a five-gallon tank, I could fill that five-gallon tank up for less than 10 bucks. Nothing about that. It was a buck 69 a gallon the day Joe Biden was elected. Dollar 69 a gallon. It's costing me 20, 25 bucks to fill up now. And maybe everybody doesn't have the same perspective. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. We'll just cut a little bit over here and a little bit over there. The problem is you can't cut a little bit over here and a little bit over there because they're going up. Everything is going up and getting more expensive. California, Oregon, Nevada, Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, and Illinois, they're already paying $5 per gallon average. 11 states, including New York, Connecticut, and Arizona, are paying just under $5 a gallon. In 18 states, 18 states, drivers are paying about $5 a gallon. So what's driving all of this? What's really doing it? And how, oh how, are consumers across the nation handling it? And I'm going to tell you, it's getting tougher and tougher for we consumers. Well, you know, fuel prices hitting another record today. We're now at a national average of 4.62 per gallon. As the reality that inflation is not going away is smacking consumers in the gut and the wallet. National Taxpayer Union EVP Brandon Arnold and Mayflower Advisors Managing Partner Larry Glazer both join me now. Larry, I'll start with you. Your reaction to what we're seeing, not just in the current contract today, but also, look, you know, we could talk all about core inflation, you know, stripping out food and energy, but food and energy is everything right now to the American consumer, and that's the economy. You know, Cheryl, as bad as gas prices are, the question we keep asking ourselves is, is there a breaking point? Is there a point where the consumer starts to buckle here, where we see that demand destruction that everybody's worried about? And, you know, in Europe overnight, we saw their inflation, and it is much more problematic there. But that doesn't hide from the fact that we've got our own issues here. And look, it's summer driving season. The officials start to summer. Gas up 50% or more in most markets. And again, people are using credit cards to finance it. The personal savings rate is back to financial crisis levels. That's how they're affording it. They're borrowing from the future. And I tell you what, Cheryl, it's a for now conversation because come the fall, if gas prices are at these levels, we're going to have a real problem. They'll pay 50 bucks to see Top Gun, but they're going to put it on their credit card and they're going to borrow from the future to do it. Well, and you know what, Brandon, let's pick up on that because we are seeing the data come out that, you know, despite what we're, we've been hearing, frankly, from the Biden administration, that people are starting to mm. save less and spend more. They're having to dip into those savings accounts they're having to pull you know to, to really cover the cost they don't want to stop spending they've been locked down for over two years you've got this you know revenge travel we keep talking about it so but that demand destruction seems to be there's an interesting dichotomy and kind of a fight if you are right now with the consumer and with businesses where do you see it yeah i think that's absolutely right the, the numbers that biden cited in his wall street journal op-ed point back to the end of last year we're now five months into this year almost at the end of may here and things have gotten worse they've been clobbered throughout every single month of this year with record-breaking inflation so people have dipped into their reserves they have dipped into their savings accounts and we are starting to see consumers hit the breaking point that's showing up in consumer data that we're seeing at big box stores consumer spending is starting to taper off it's two-thirds of the economy once we have that demand crash once we see consumer spending really start to fall 
we're in a real problematic pro uh, place where this entire economy is very, very concerning. Yet Biden is out there saying everything is hunky-dory, everything is great. It's just not matching up with what people are seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, you know, and Larry, I'll, I'll go back to that to that same issue and stay with the issue of inflation in the White House. And again, we are going to hear from uh, President Biden sure. and Jerome Powell. We expect to see them after they have this meeting at the White House to talk about inflation, which we're talking about that right now. You know, it's interesting because when he laid out the, the, in this uh, Wall Street Journal editorial yesterday, you know, he basically said that this, here's his three-point plan. You know, my plan for fighting inflation, families have increased their savings and have less debt. We've already covered that piece of the pie here. But at the same time, the Commerce Department, again, that personal savings rate, as a percentage of disposable income, that fell to 4.4% in April. That's the lowest level since 2008. And then I'll also send you with this question, the fact that, you know, at the same, it, they, it, they're talking about potential price fixing. You know, they're going after the evil oil companies. They're going after, uh, you know, the, the food companies. I mean, you take your, your evil empire of corporate greed of the day, and the, the administration seems to be missing the mark, but frankly, without proof. You know, Cheryl, people are so busy talking about high gas prices that they can't even get to the high food price conversation at the family barbecue right now because of the distractions. And look, as long as gas prices are at these levels, the Fed chairman and the president can meet all they want. They're not going to address the issue, and it's going to affect the president's approval rating. And we will see that play out in midterm elections come the fall. So they're meeting. It, think of it as a bad meeting. It's almost an emergency meeting. It's very unusual to have these types of meetings. And there's very few things that the, that the, the Fed is very much focused on fighting inflation right now. The concern is they're going to blink coming into midterm elections. They don't want to be the cause of the recession. They don't want that as part of their legacy. And that means they may be more dovish, which means inflation stays higher for longer to lay off of the, uh, the market volatility. So I think we have a real concern here. And the concern starts with the pump and it starts with the grocery store. And until you get those two issues and you take personal responsibility for it, the rest of it won't matter. Yeah, no, you, you, people feel it. They see it. They're living it. And you can't that's you know, right. get their attention off of it. I am not an economist, but I do have some personal experience with inflation. Maybe some experience more than you have. Some of you listening in, of course, are my age or right around my age, and you can share the same historical economic events that I'm about to share. I can tell you this, from my perspective, looking back over my shoulder, looking behind me a few decades, I've lived through a bad inflation and then subsequent um, problems with everything economically in this nation. When prices go up, people quit spending. A lot of it is because they don't have the money to spend. The extra money's already been spent on something. So what they begin to do is find places they can do without. And those places, when they're doing without, all of those stores, those restaurants, those theaters, they begin to go down, down, down in their economic stability. Recession is the exact end of real inflation every time. And the, the recession, if it's going to be a recession, it can be different. There can be a different recession Almost every time we get in this inflation thing, we've been through recessions in recent history, but it hasn't been to the level of what we saw in the late 60s and the 70s and the 80s. We had recession then. We had inflation. 
And it was cyclical. It would go up and down. Or as this administration calls it, transitory, which means it comes and goes. But folks, this one, this one is the big kahuna. It has all of the elements of a massive negative economic downturn. They're going to call it a recession when it happens. But it could literally be an economical bust for this nation. We're watching it closely here. We're not looking for the political perspective on any of this because this is not a political thing. It's used as a weapon, inflation and recession. And we see it happening every day now. Both sides do it. They're trying to get brownie points. We have a midterm election coming up in a few months and everybody wants to have something big that they can use against their political opponents. Why, oh, why don't they just for a little while lay down the weapons and let's just unify and look at the problems out there, this problem exclusively right now. We have a bunch more, but we've got to get our arms around this thing and we need to do it pretty quickly. And let me tell you what is not helping. Joe Biden deflects any responsibility for any of it. For any of it. We're going to get into that in just a few moments. But let let me tell you, he came up and uh, he laid out his plan to flight inflation. You're going to love this. If you can get your head wrapped around this, you're going to go right through this thing and never have a problem because President Biden is fixing it. He's got a three-point plan. He said, we now have a chance to build on a historic recovery with an economy that works for working families. The most important thing we can do now to transition from rapid recovery to stable, steady growth is to bring inflation down. Duh. That's why I've, I have made tackling inflation my top economic priority, he said. Now, this is in a Wall Street Journal op-ed ahead of that meeting he had yesterday with Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. First part of his plan. An acknowledgement that the Federal Reserve has a primary responsibility to control inflation. Biden, without naming Trump directly, said that his predecessor demeaned the Fed and argued that he won't do that. That's going to fix inflation. <laughs> that's, that's point one. That's point one of a three-point plan. I'm not going to demean the Fed, no matter what they do or don't do, even though they're the single authority that controls interest rates, which controls inflation, which controls recession. And Biden's got a problem with Trump putting the squeeze on the Fed to keep keep interest rates low. And how you're going to fix it is you're not you're not going to get into it with the Federal Reserve? Oh, my gosh. The second part, making goods more affordable for families with a focus on high gas prices. Wow. Thank you, Mr. President. Those gas prices, they've just single-handedly, nobody did anything wrong except those evil oil companies. They just jumped in there and raised their prices to gouge Americans, taking advantage of our economic Slow down. He more than anybody else that's breathing today, he being President Biden, is responsible for the high gas prices. We're not going to even go into the detail looking back. We've done it over and over and over again. You know exactly what it is. 
It started with the XL pipeline cancellation, and then it was this, and then it was that, and that, and that, and that, and that. And then he starts begging OPEC to help us out after he forever, perpetually has downed and denigrated all the leaders in the Middle East, never thinking about what if we need them at some point in the future. So, how's he going to fix inflation? Well, the second part, making goods more affordable for families. He's blamed Russia's invasion in Ukraine for the high price of gas. Biden touted the release from global oil reserves and called on Congress to pass clean energy tax credits. Wow, that's fixing the high price of gas at the pump, isn't it? Now, here's what is planned to make everything more affordable. It includes fixing supply chains. Have you heard that before? I got to be honest with you. I heard Jen Psaki herself say just a couple of months ago that over a year ago, even before Joe Biden took the office of the presidency on January 20th of 2020, she said even in the ramp up to taking over, we were working on what we anticipated would be those supply chain issues. We waited breathlessly. Oh my gosh, we're going to be able to get goods from overseas really quickly, which means we can trade in our junk used cars and get new used cars that we couldn't get because the technology items that are coming from Asia aren't available, so they can't finish them. We're going to be able to get food from overseas that we've gotten, all that wheat that we've gotten for decades from Ukraine. We're going to be able to get all that. Thank you, Uncle Joe. Well, he's been saying these two things, these two things he's going to battle the price of oil. He's going to get it down. He's been saying that for since ever it started going up dramatically. But he knew he could not just immediately do a U-turn on his policies, his executive orders that made all this, initiated all this, made it happen. He can't do a U-turn. He's got to stay where he is because he's pandering to a powerful group of leftist politicians and big money donors. And he's made promises. I'm going to take care of your political plans. I'm going to prop up that Green New Deal and we're going to force the nation to get totally off fossil fuel. He's even been happy. He's been happy, elated, and calls the rise of gas prices necessary in our move towards Green New Deal energy. Okay, guys, I'm all in. I'm a businessman. So here's what you do. Those are good ideas. Where? Show me the plan. What is the plan to get us off fossil fuels? What's the timeline to get us off fossil fuels? And what have you done specifically so far to take care of the supply chain problems and show us your plan on what you're going to change from this day forward? You said you were going to change it and fix it. You said that six months ago, and it didn't happen. You've been telling us every week you're going to fix the price of gasoline. Oh, we let those gas reserves out to fix the problem. And yet every day, the price of gas still goes up every day. It went up a nickel overnight from Monday to Tuesday, from Tuesday to Wednesday, both days. But get ready for this. Get ready for the big one, the big kahuna. 
part three of his plan. It involves reducing the federal deficit through common sense reforms to the tax code. Doesn't that, that just makes it perfect for you, doesn't it? We should level the international taxation playing field so companies no longer have an incentive to shift jobs and profits overseas. Can you believe he's seen, he said that? He said that. He has said before, we don't care if they go overseas. We're creating jobs here. We'll put the jobs on shore so they won't have to go overseas with these companies that have been taking our jobs and taking them over there. He's been caught saying that again and again. None of that has happened. But he's got another fix on part three. We should end the outrageous unfairness in the tax code that allows a billionaire to pay lower rates than a teacher or firefighter. You do understand. I'm not even going to. This audience has got this. You understand that. What I understand better than, obviously, Joe Biden is because he's never signed a check. He's never had to sweat to get a payroll, get money in the bank to do a payroll. He's never been in business. He's a lawyer in Washington. That's what he's done. That's a world that exists by itself in a vacuum. It's just a little blip on the radar screen, and it makes a lot of problems for everybody across the United States. That's its biggest job that it's completed. They always use as a straw man billionaires, the evil billionaires. They're the ones that are causing this. It's exactly opposite. These are the people that invest in our nation. These are the people that buy companies. These are people that own companies that can give raises. And under Trump, it was dramatic, the increases in wages for the middle class. Here's part of what Biden said that's really tricky. He noted that the Congressional Budget Office projected that the deficit will fall by $1.7 trillion this year, which would be the largest reduction in history. With the right policies, he said, the U.S. can transition from recovery to stable, steady growth and bring down inflation without giving up all these historic gains, he said. And folks, the historic gains he's talking about, more jobs created than any other president. It's all a lie. All people did was go back to work, back to work, the same jobs they had before the government locked all the businesses down and we were in that pandemic lockdown. When those people go back to work, Joe's calling those brand new jobs. That's number one. The second one is inflation and the national debt. We'll get into that in just a moment. But everything this guy does, he is saying it, and the way he's doing it has got to be one of two different purposes behind it. He's either oblivious to the fact that we get, we get what's going on as a nation. And when he says what he says, when he brags about what he's doing to fix things that he created and nothing is being fixed and they've never given us a real plan for doing it, that three-point plan, we didn't even get an a detail of what is included in those things. 
and how they were going to be handled. This president is nothing but a bunch of noise, promises, empty promises from a man who's been in Washington too long and he can't do the job. That's it, period. There's nothing else, folks. There's nothing else to it. Let me give you an example. This inflation that you and I are living in, what's the cause of it? Who's responsible for it? Here's Peter Ducey confronting the White House press secretary. Does President Biden take any responsibility for his policies potentially contributing to inflation? When we talk about the gas prices right now, this is indeed Putin's gas hike. No, it actually isn't. The White House dodging questions on inflation as President Biden's economic crisis hits another milestone. The average price of fuel jumping five cents overnight to $4.67 a gallon. This is a new record. Lara, this is eating into people's income, and that's why they're feeling poor today. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to hear that from the press secretary. I guess she's just reiterating what she's been told to say. It's too bad we don't have the disinformation czar available to comment on that because that is true disinformation. It's total hot garbage. It's nonsense. Um, People clearly understand that something is going on in America that isn't working for them. They can't afford their gas. They can't afford their groceries. They can't find baby formula. And, you know, at a certain point, people are getting frustrated. They're getting fed up. And I think we're going to see a big shift come November as a direct result of of these exact policies, of the exact um, rationale that got us into this place. And you can trace it directly back to Joe Biden and his first decision as president of the United States, which was killing the Keystone XL pipeline, changing our energy policy, no longer making America energy independent. It has caused a disaster. Um, just downhill from there. Uh, you know, I, and I would go one step beyond, and I would say it's not just Joe Biden. It's the Democrats. Absolutely. Okay, the Democrats were pushing a plan that was valued at $5 trillion, Sean. They told us it was five. Tri- they told us it was $3.9 trillion, right. which was misinformation because we know that there were all those gimmicks in there. And I would just point out that, yes, we have a CPI, this consumer price index right now, that is running at 8.3%, but all the stuff we're buying is much, more, much expensive more expensive than 8.3%. You got eggs up 18%, meat up 17%, uh, fresh fish up 14%. I mean, the things that we're actually buying are much more than 8%. And then if you shop for eight kids like I do and a wife, that's right. you yeah. see, I mean, you really see the, the expense of the grocery store skyrocket. And I think I think members of Congress are, are great bellwethers because you talk to them and, and they touch a lot of people. That's their job is to talk to people, go to parades and fairs and festivals and town halls. And all of them are like, listen, the, the number one issue is gas prices. Number two issue, prices in the, in the grocery store. That is, an, that, that is what everyone is talking about. And again, to your point, Maria, the spending side, build back better. They're still pushing it. Yeah. But $1.9 trillion in, in COVID relief on top of the COVID relief that the Republicans with President Trump had passed just a, a, a couple months before. And then infrastructure of $1.2 trillion. We've never seen anything like this before. Uh, and it doesn't line. end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. By the time they signed in infrastructure, inflation was at 6 percent yeah and 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 it kept going up and up but there's there's no pivot 
right? There's no, no. there's no acknowledgement. Okay, maybe yeah. the spending is part of this. Let me pivot to the middle. There's no pivot. And the president wrote an op-ed in our paper this week about his plan to fight inflation. And I think that's what a lot of readers were disappointed in, that they were hoping this was the moment he was going to stop uh, stepping on the supply side of the economy, stop uh, blaming uh, producers, uh, whether it's meat or oil, and start uh, thinking about ways to encourage uh, more production, the creation of more goods and services, uh, and and it's we're we're not seeing the pivot. We're seeing more efforts to keep the spending going. And you go back to that 1.9 trillion in March of 2021. A number of former Obama officials warning him, saying this is going to be an inflation feeder. Uh, we we don't need this. Uh, the you know the a huge amount of money has been pushed into the system, and he and Janet Yellen and the team ignored it, and we're paying the price now. Yeah, you're right, and um, I, I I think that longer term people are wondering where this is going okay okay so now we have this inflation problem our layoffs next because we're going to get into a, a story coming up in the show about technology companies are now laying off at the pace that we saw in 2020 yeah i, I still don't think we're doomed i think if, okay. if joe biden does what he should have done from day one the seinfeld strategy do nothing get out of the way this will work out it will work out if it is worked out with a plan in place. What's the Biden plan? Well, I'm going to I'm going to tackle the supply side issues and we're going to work hard to bring down the price of gas at the pump and food in the grocery store. We're going to do our best. We're going to work together. We're all going to arm in arm dance around the fire singing kumbaya and everything's going to be okay. No plan. No action. Nothing specific being done by this administration to turn, or as they said in that audio uh, sound bite that you just heard, pivot from the failed policies of this administration regarding our economy and everything to do with it. Pivot. Make some changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you want something different, do something different. The definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and every time expecting different results. Are you saying the president is insane? No, I'm saying his actions as president in many cases are insane actions because he's doing the same stuff over and over again, saying the same things over and over again, and he wants something different to come out of each of them. It's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. That's not how life works. So let's talk about the other big 900-pound gorilla in the room, our budget deficit. Our budget deficit. He brags all the time about what he's done in the budget deficit. Is he telling us the truth? Listen to him with his own words. President Biden is claiming success, touting his ability to reduce the federal budget deficit and cut annual spending. Here's what the president said last week. Let me remind you again, I reduced the federal deficit. All the talk about the deficit from my Republican friends, I love it. I reduced it $350 billion in my first year in office. He reduced 
the deficit, $350 billion in his first year in office. Now, where did that deficit under President Trump, where did it come from? Well, if you remember, Congress passed a bill on helping Americans out there during the pandemic. And it was billions of dollars that were passed went straight to the American people. We knew that was going to cause deficit spending. We knew it. We didn't have it, but it was an emergency. And then Biden comes along and he passes two and talked Republicans into joining him. Two bills that total $3 trillion, every dime of it, deficit spending. So what did he do his first year? Of course, that didn't all come. That spending didn't all come at one time. And they spread it out so that it doesn't just kill one year. (laughs) Like they needed to do more deficit spending to kill that last year and this year. But because his first year, which is not where the bulk of that spending on those $3 trillion is happening, because in his first year, he didn't spend as much. And looking back at the previous year, oh, Donald Trump spent way more. I got it down $300 billion. You know how he got it down? The $3 trillion bills that he put in place aren't going to come off and get going until this year and next year and the year after. But it's still $3 trillion in federal spending. We're on track to reduce it by the end of September by another $1,500,000,000. I just told you what that's from. He's not spending any money for COVID-19 care. And he's taking personal responsibility saying this happened because of me. The largest drop ever. CNN reporter and fact checker in chief Daniel Dale has the facts here. What's really going on with the budget? So here are the facts. There is no doubt that the deficit has fallen under President Biden so far. It was about $3.1 trillion under President Trump in fiscal 2020. It was about $360 billion lower than that, so about $2.8 trillion in fiscal 2021, mostly under President Biden. But even with that $360 billion decline, Brianna, experts I spoke to still scoffed at the idea that President Biden is personally responsible for having reduced the deficit. In fact, one advocate of deficit reduction, Mark Goldwine of the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, told me that this claim is almost bizarro world, a reversal of reality. Why? Well, because the deficit was expected to fall by more than $360 billion at the time President Biden took office. In fact, at the time, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office had projected that the deficit would fall by more than $870 billion in 2021 if President Biden did not implement new policy. Then President Biden came in and, like most presidents, Brianna, did new policy. There's a $1.9 trillion uh, pandemic relief bill. There was a big bipartisan infrastructure bill. There was an expansion of food stamp benefits. Whatever you think of all those policies, they all cost money. So there ended up being less deficit reduction than expected. Now, President Biden likes to cite a certain economic research firm called Moody's Analytics. Here's what a senior director at Moody's, Dan White, told me last week. He said, the actions of the administration and Congress have undoubtedly resulted in higher deficits, not smaller ones. It is encouraging that the administration has proposed some initiatives to bring down the deficit, but so far, none of those initiatives has been seriously considered. Now, Brianna, people might still be confused. If President Biden's actions have made the deficit higher than it otherwise would be, how has the deficit still fallen at all under President Biden from the end of the Trump era? 
In short, it's because of temporary pandemic spending. It was scheduled to expire, and it has expired. Basically, there was an explosion of short-term spending in Trump's last year because of pandemic relief programs and tax revenue collapse because the economy crashed. The deficit hit a record at $3.1 trillion. That was more than triple what it was the year prior. But because a lot of that 2020 spending was short-term, the deficit was almost certainly going to fall in the coming years, no matter who was president. And so, again, it did end up falling in 2021, but again, it was by less than expected. So when President Biden talks about a projected $1.5 trillion decline in the deficit this year, even if that does happen this year, the deficit would still be higher this year than initially projected when he took office. So President Biden has also taken aim at Republicans over the deficit, right? He actually claimed last year that the deficit rose every single year under President Trump, even before the pandemic. Is that accurate? That part, Piana, is absolutely correct. Now, it is true that the deficit, as I said, exploded more than tripled in 2020 because of the pandemic, but it was also rising sharply under Trump before the pandemic, in large part because of his major tax cuts. So I'll give you some numbers. In 2015 and 2016, under President Obama, the deficit was $439 billion, then $587 billion. Then, under President Trump, it just kept going up. It got to $779 billion in 2018, $984 billion in 2019. So yes, we should be skeptical of President Biden's own deficit boast, but it's not like President Trump and Republicans have some sort of high ground here. Nobody in Washington has a free pass. Nobody can pass legislation, implement legislation on their, by themselves, on their own. It takes a group of people. There are 535 members of the United States Congress. 435 in the House of Representatives, 100 in the Senate. Those people have to approve anything regarding spending. Unless, of course, a sitting president finds a way to go around and do some executive action solo. And then, of course, that's always questionable. Doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, any president goes to Congress and asks them. You know, the representatives of the people, the constitutional way. That's the way it should be done every, every, every time. Go to Congress. Put a bill out on the floor of either house. Let's debate it. Then let's send it down to committee. Let's work on it. Ask questions. Get clarifications. Make amendments if we need to. Vote on it in committee. If it votes and passes in the committee, then bring it back to be debated in full on the floor of the House or the Senate let us debate, let us discuss, maybe add some amendments if the majority in the Senate want to do that, and then let's make a vote to pass or to not pass it. Even if it was passed and implemented and it turned out to be a bust, guess who it would be a bust and who would have the responsibility for it? The people's representatives. Well, the president's elected, isn't he? Yeah, that's one person. Unless you want to live in an authoritarian government, which I think we are in large part anyway, if it's just one person running the show, that's a dictatorship. Are you saying that Joe Biden can do it on his own and he doesn't have to turn to the people? Well, I do turn to the people, he says. The people elected me. They want this. They want that. We don't live in a dictatorship. We don't live in an authoritarianistic state. We live in a representative republic, which means the people's voice is the loudest and the most important one in the place. That's just simple fact. 
and this administration, they're not real big on uh, believing what I just told you. They may say they are, but when it comes right down to it, they're not. And all you have to do is look at their practices. Look at what they do. Look at what they're doing right now. They have the power in Congress. They control both the House and the Senate. In large part, they just do what they want to do because on almost every bill, they have enough to get it passed. That's the danger of not having a balance in government. And the big driver of that whole thing, politics, not facts, not needs, not necessities, not the desires of the American people, but what is the best political way for me to go in voting and crafting this legislation? And that's the way they each go. What does that say to you? They don't give a rip. It's in the back of their mind, sure. But the reason they make their decisions, the choices that they make to cast their vote is what's best for them and those who support them and those who gave dollars, big dollars, to their campaigns. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, ah, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. Now, there's something really big that's happening this week up in Washington, D.C. In fact, it's underway right now. There is a massive trove of legislation that is being presented, and it's all about gun laws. The package is dubbed Protecting Our Kids, and it includes eight bills, each designed to erode citizens' Second Amendment rights. Reportedly included in this gun control package, and by the way, I, I uh, exchanged text with Congressman Mike Johnson yesterday about this. He said they're really in the House. They're going to dig into 
the nuts and bolts of these eight bills beginning tomorrow. Democrats want to vote on them next week. Eight different bills. That just doesn't seem possible. Um, Here's what it is supposed to include. Provisions to ban high-capacity magazines, increase the purchase age of semi-automatics from 18 to 21, ban bump stocks for civilian use while requiring existing bump stocks to be registered with the government, change the definition of ghost guns so they fall under background checks at a point of sale, increase penalties for gun trafficking, and mandate how Americans store firearms in their homes. Now, let me just say this. None of these measures would have stopped the shooter in Uvalde, Texas. Here's what they're called. Number one, bill number one, the Raise the Age Act. And it was proposed by, these are all Democrats. This one's Anthony Brown of Maryland. Number two, Prevent Gun Trafficking Act, proposed by Robin Kelly of Illinois. Number three, the Untraceable Firearms Act, David Sicilian of Rhode Island. Number four, Ethan's Law, Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut. Number five, the Safe Guns, Safe Kids Act, Elisa Slotkin of Michigan. The Kimberly Vaughn Firearms Safe Storage Act, Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas. Closing the Bump Stop Loophole Act, Representative Dina Titus of Nevada. And the Keep American Safe Act, Ted Deutsch of Florida. It seems likely the Democrats in the House folks may have enough votes to pass the entire package. A vote will reportedly be held next week on all of these bills. If the package narrowly passes the House, it'll move to the Senate, where it must survive a 60-vote filibuster-proof threshold to pass on to the entire Senate to be debated and voted on. Last week, remember, Mitch McConnell, who's a Republican, the majority leader in in the Senate, He instructed Senator John Cornyn, who is also a Republican, to work with Democrats on gun control. He said, I've encouraged him, John Cornyn, to talk to Senator Sinema, Senator Murphy, and others who are interested in trying to get an outcome that's directly related to the problem. I'm hopeful we could come up with a bipartisan solution that's directly related to the facts of this awful massacre. And he was talking about the Uvalde slaughter last week. The announcement of this legislation, it came after Biden claimed on Memorial Day, the Second Amendment is not absolute. It makes no sense to be able to purchase something that can fire up to 300 rounds. There's only one reason to buy a gun that can fire 100 rounds, Biden claimed. The Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. That statement is not factual. It's his opinion, and it's dead wrong. There is plenty of evidence out there to prove it. I'm not sure what the number of Second Amendment cases through the years that have come before the United States Supreme Court, but every decision the court has made regarding any of this is built totally on the fact the Second Amendment forbids government from controlling for the citizenry, the ownership, and the use legally of guns. We could sit here all day. 
we could do it and talk about stuff. I just want to touch on a few more things, and then we're going to move on. Do you know what the the American people think about guns used for mass shootings? Americans blame mental health for mass shootings. More access to firearms is number second. Number two, Rasmussen released a poll yesterday, found 40% of likely voters believe mental health is more to blame for mass shootings by young men in America. 30% blame access to firearms. So after the two most recent mass shootings, one at that supermarket in Buffalo, New York, another at Uvalde, Texas at that school, the issues surrounding gun control and school security, they're at the center of national discourse. And I got to be honest with you, the left is loving this because all of this uproar, it's fading the heat somewhat off this president because they're talking about something else. Democrats have largely focused on pushing for new gun control measures. Republicans have pointed to mental health problems, arguing the proposed gun control laws that are out there would not stop criminals. And I'm not even going to go any further than that. I wanted to get to this part of this to nail this home for you. There's no reason to have laws of any kind, none, about anything. None, unless law enforcement who have been empowered by the crafting and implementation of laws passed by the People's House, the House of Representatives and the Senate and the Congress, and signed into law, there's no rush to adhere, to abide by, to enforce the laws that are on the books. So let's just do the suppose game for a moment. Just suppose, just suppose the Democrats have enough power with all the trauma that people are facing across the nation with these two mass shootings. You throw a lot of conservatives that are on the line, but they're more concerned about stopping it, stopping gun gun trafficking and the use of these guns and the purchase of these guns legally, we got to stop all that stuff. They're caught up in that. And the nation's listening right now. So even if they feel like they have the power and they go ahead and we find out they do to get these bills passed, and of course, Joe's going to sign every one of them into law, you think that's going to stop the fighting? No, actually, it'll make it worse. Because I can tell you, there is a huge segment of the population And if I was going to put it in percentages, I would say of the 330 million people that are here, there are at least 100 million that are stuck on the validity of the Second Amendment and its rights for all citizens to own and bear arms given to to us by the Second Amendment to the Constitution. And it may get physically ugly. That really concerns me. Other issues take some of the blame as well. According to the Rasmussen poll, 10% think family problems are more to blame for these mass shootings. 10% blame social media. Only 4% think school problems are more to blame. This survey was of 1,000 people. It was conducted a week ago, two days. The poll has a margin of sampling error of plus or minus three percentage points. 
95% confidential level. What's the consensus? People don't think that gun laws will stop the problem, and they don't want them. They don't want them. Yeah, there are a lot of people that make a lot of noise about it and say they want them. You know what? Those are the people, the people that make the noise, the people that like it the way it is, unless and until it gets to a fever pitch across the nation, they're just going to sit quietly. But there will come a point, and I hope we don't get to it. There will come a point, if we do, where it is going to get really, really ugly. And we're going down that road if we're not careful. That, my friends, is a scary thing because then there is no way for this to end up doing anything good, ending up being anything good. And, of course, the divisiveness, the disunity that this president has claimed all through his campaign, even through his 40 years in the Senate. I'm a uniter. I'm not a divider. And everything he does... That's a big thing. Everything he does, that's a big thing. It's about targeting people politically, targeting people politically, and using them to serve some political partisan speculative of his. I'm telling you, that's a fact. That's the way it is. Oh my gosh. Can you believe we're still talking about all this stuff. We can't get things discussed. Put them out there with ideas. Tell us, here's what I think. Take some time. Debate. Ask questions. Get experts in. The normal process, when legislation is presented, it takes months and months of intense work in the committees and the prospective changes to be made to these things in committee. And if it's passed out of committee, then the same process over and over in the whole House or Senate. They don't do that anymore. They're, they're presenting today eight bills on gun and gun control at one time. Eight. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. 
you just get tired of just pushing and pushing and struggling, talking, even hollering, and nothing gets done, nothing gets changed, nothing's ever implemented. And there's this incessant buzz of blame and guilt and anger and distrust, and it all evolves down into fear. Aren't you tired of living in that? I keep looking for a way to just be able to walk around it, maybe close the door on everything and get away for a couple of days. A lot of people take vacations, but where do you vacation today? All the usual spots are either flooded with people that have been shut up for so long, couldn't get out, couldn't get away, looking for the same escape that I want to look for. I'm actually thinking about taking a few days off later this weekend or the weekend and um, go to Atlanta to a international, the biggest knife show on the planet. It's got a really cool name, Blade Show. <laughs> My son and I joined together years ago to collect knives, and uh, the ones that we typically have been doing the most are automatic knives. In the old days, they were called switchblades. But there are just a massive number of really cool knife manufacturers out there that do amazing things with knife. Uh, the materials that are used in the handles, and then, of course, the blades and the design of the whole thing. And um, I guess Caleb and I, my son, we started this in the late 90s. And we came down, and our favorite knife manufacturer is a company out of California called Protec. Know the owner, know the designer, know them well, and that, that weighs in, but they produce some really good knives. And, of course, everybody, the aficionados on knives, come in from all around the world, manufacturers, designers, custom makers. They're all going to be in Atlanta. I'm thinking about flying over and joining my son there this weekend and just get away from this stuff. We would still do the bullet points on Saturday. We always do. But turning off the television and not watching the news. I suggest for you, I suggest for everyone, that we need to take a pause on this. Let's all just just take a pause. Get away for just a little bit. You don't have to stick your nose in it every day and let them rub your nose in whatever the issue of the day is. You don't have to do that. And you can stay in touch with the world without being immersed in and just consumed by the world. Take care of yourself. You need to because you can't take care of anybody else if you can't take care of yourself. And you need to understand this, and we're going to move on when I tell you this, but life is tough. There are no guarantees about pretty much anything, except at some point in our lives we're all going to die. But until then, we just have to make our ways and do the best that we can do and just deal with the consequences. I don't know any other way. If you've got a Superman or Superwoman way for getting around those things, I would love it if you'd pass it along to me. I'd use it every once in a while. Just thought I'd point out one more thing on the gun stuff before we move on. Beto O'Rourke, Beto, Texas. He ran for U.S. Senate and got thumped by um, I just went blank, Ted Cruz. And now he's running for governor 
going after Greg Abbott. Well, he's weighed in, as you can imagine, on the gun situation. He declared on the campaign trail that owners of semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 should not be able to keep them. Now, what does he mean by that? I'll quote him. I think we are fools to believe anything other than these weapons of war will be continued to be used with greater frequency against our fellow Americans. Now, he's kind of wondering with that sentence, and this is a quote, so here it is again. I think we are fools to believe anything other than that these weapons of war will continue to be used with greater frequency against our fellow Americans. And he was speaking to a group of veterans during a town hall meeting out in Abilene, Texas. It's why I've taken the position, he said, that I don't think we should have AR-15s and AK-47s in civilian life, he said. They belong on a battlefield. There's not a soldier in the Army or the Marines, folks, that wants an AR-15 or an AK-47 under their arms when they go to a battle. Why? Because those are not automatic rifles. They're semi-automatic. And the difference between semi-automatic and fully automatic guns is a difference between life and death. Beto O'Rourke, here's what he's doing by taking this position publicly as he's running for governor, you know why he says it the way he says it? Because more people believe that than people are knowledgeable and know the facts. So this is a master politician that can't win an election, by the way, but he's a master politician. And rather than get people to hear and listen and give them factual information and trust people to make their own decisions, many people on the left most of the people on the left, they come up with a narrative and they push it whether it's factual or not. They sell, they sell, they sell, knowing that there will be a group of voters who will, just because they're the ones saying it, those voters will adopt it and they'll vote that way. They belong on a battlefield. Beto O'Rourke, he better never, if he's ever in a political position, to put anybody in any kind of confrontation needing guns. He better not send them out with an AR-15 or an AK-47 because there will be, there will be bad things that happen. Why is that? Well, you know, those automatic weapons, those weapons of war that they're talking about, most of the people that are out doing the shoot, not most, but when you see these mass shootings that happen, in many cases, they're using fully automatic weapons that have either been stolen or they have come into the nation through smuggling at our southern border. It is legal for somebody to own a fully automatic weapon. But there is an intense process that person goes through. Background, not just by the FBI, but the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And it takes months and months, if not years, to get a permit to even be able to own it. And when you own it, you can't legally just take it around with you. There are rules about that. But here's a politician that ignores the facts. I know that probably surprises you. Beto, he said, my kids are my conscience. And I may win or lose this race, but I'm always going to have to face them and answer for what I've done or failed to do when I had the chance to do something. And I just took the position that may not be politically uh, politically popular 
or maybe too honest that only should no one be able to purchase an AR-15 or an AK-47 because they're designed to kill humans and that high-impact, high-velocity round will just tear up everything inside you. You'll bleed out before we can get you back to life. But I don't think that the people who have them right now in civilian life should be able to use them or keep them. What he said, the mouthful of his words, has massive implications. Much gross misrepresentation in what he said. Misunderstanding or purposely leading somebody to believe something that's not true. Of course, we watched him in his campaign against Ted Cruz. There was a lot of that going on. Nothing in gun governing, nothing will work. Not one new bill, not one new measure, nothing is going to work as long as Democrats are in power. Why is that? They believe in the abolishment of the Second Amendment, period. They believe in defunding the police, even though they say they don't. They're doing it now. They're saying that now. They weren't saying it two years ago when Minneapolis was burning and Seattle was burning. It was the cops' fault. It was this. It was that. It wasn't criminals that were doing it. Well, it was. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, a bunch of other factions were doing it in those two cities and other cities. The only people that will be personally affected with some kind of gun confiscation by the federal government or the people that own them legally. You know why that is? Criminals don't buy guns the legal way, and therefore they're not registered. There's no way to trace them. They're anonymous. And if you take one away from them and they're not in jail they'll go get another one. The atmosphere in Washington, D.C., is it's been gray for years, and it's slowly turning black. Maybe not even slowly turning black, but folks, there's very little consistency in facts coming out of D.C. Very few of them. And nothing is said just off the cuff, or very little is said off the cuff. Their plans in place for everything. Have you ever noticed how on certain days the news media report a story and they use a phrase or a group of words and then you flip channels and it may be from going from CNBC to MSNBC to CNN and all the same words are being spoken across there. It's all coordinated. We've told you about that process the White House, the Washington, D.C. media, they all have access and they all are unified in reporting things on that website they have access to, exclusive access. It's been busted, so we know it's true, years ago, and they just went, when the first one was busted, they just went and started the second one. So it is coordinated. And it's, it's, just, like, it's just like going to a concentration camp where they tie you to a chair and put bright lights in your face 
and they try to make you say something on camera that will implicate you in some other cause or some other group of people or some person. And they just keep keep you there and they don't give you any hope for anything in the future unless you say or do whatever they want you to do. That's kind of the atmosphere, maybe on a little lighter level, but what we're getting from the mainstream media, and very little of it is tied to the truth. Well, Biden, he's under fire in a bunch of other areas. One is right there in the White House is on staff. Have you noticed, have you heard that African-American members on Joe Biden's campaign and his presidential administration staff are leaving, they're outright just leaving the Biden administration. They're quitting or going somewhere else. 21 of them so far. White House black staffers, 21 have bailed on the president since he took office. Here are the details. But the headline here is that the white supremacy in the Biden White House is so intense, 21 black staffers, can there be more than 21 total? Not a huge staff at the White House. 21 black staffers have fled. Speaking of the new Jim Crow, Candace Owens is the founder of the charity Blexit. She's probably not surprised by this. She joins us tonight. Candace, are you surprised that the racism, the white supremacy at the White House is so intense that black staffers are fleeing for their lives? I have to say I'm a little bit upset that I'm not involved in these strategy sessions at the White House. I just picture them all sitting around a table and just, quick, quick, black people are waking up and they're not happy. Grab me an Asian and put him in front of the podium. We've got to shift here and shift gears completely on the PR strategy. I mean, this is this is actually what they're doing, right? Because black Americans, first and foremost, what's happening parallel to this is black Americans are waking up to the lie that was Black Lives Matter. So at the same time, you're having these black Americans that were quite literally just given these positions. They weren't meant to do anything. They never wanted them to actually do anything. They probably were underqualified for the positions that they even had. But the idea was, oh, look, we're getting on our knees, literally, if you're Nancy Pelosi, to the Black Lives Matter narrative, right? Remember, she did that that notorious bow and got down on one knee. And we're going to do this and show you that we're going to hire a bunch of black people, but we don't actually care what they think. We just need them to be sit there and be black. Now the black Americans in the White House are waking up and going, you know what, that's not okay with me. And they're frantically searching to find up, drum up a new narrative of hate. And this one's going to be Asian-American, Asian lives matter, quick grab me K-pop, and hopefully America's going to fall for this, when in reality we're focused on the gas prices, the inflation prices, and it's just an absolute complete joke. Is there anything more destructive than white liberal guilt? It, it feels like it's hurt more people than nuclear weapons. It really has, and, and people are starting to see that. Even Patrice Cullors, right, the, the person who started Black Lives Matters, basically said, well, it's not my fault that you guys gave me your white guilty dollars and I lied about what I did with it and bought myself an entire real estate empire, and that's the truth. So it's not just black Americans that need to have an awakening, it's white Americans. You know, you have to stop allowing people to manipulate you emotionally and tell you that you're a bad person just because you're born a certain color. Um, and hopefully we're going to start to see that as we head into this election cycle. People who hate themselves are not good leaders. Weak men and unhappy women. I agree. That's the Democratic Party. Candace Owens. Absolutely. Neither one of them. Great to see you tonight. Thank you. Race, race, race. It's always weaponized. Nobody should even go past. Nobody should assume anything. The most important thing in what you just heard is 21 African-American staffers at the White House 
have left. Nobody should be surprised they're treated in a way that doesn't seem to be equal to the way their white White House staff counterparts are being treated. Why is that? We've played for you over the years audio sound after audio sound bite of this president proving that he is a segregationist. He supported segregation. He went crazy when segregation was ruled illegal, unconstitutional, and even stated these exact words, I don't want my children going to school in a jungle. Now, what, what, what is that reference referring to? You and I both know it's African-American people in schools with white kids. His best friend, former member of the House of Representatives, Joe Biden spoke at his funeral. He was a former head of a state Ku Klux Klan. Joe Biden, by the definition of the left, and I'm going to say this softly because I don't want it to hack anybody off, Joe Biden is a racist, and his life shows it. But let me tell you what, on a personal level, that's between him and God. On a national level, it's between him and American voters. And if American voters want to make a change because of that or for any other reason, let it be. That's the way representative democracies work. Certainly you heard about the Michael Sussman trial that came to an end yesterday when he was exonerated against the charges brought against him by Special Prosecutor John Durham. The jury found Sussman's not guilty of making that false statement to the FBI back in 16, 2016, when he was not working on behalf of any client, when he brought information alleging a communications channel between the Trump Organization and Russia's Alpha Bank. Two weeks, that's how long the trial took. More than a day of deliberations by the jury. Jury found that special counsel Durham's team had not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Sussman's statement was a lie and that he was, in fact, working on behalf of Clinton's presidential campaign and technology executive Rodney Jaffe when he brought two thumb drives and a white paper alleging a Trump-Russian connection. He was charged, Sussman, with one count of making a false statement to the FBI during his meeting with then-FBI General Counsel James Baker. That was back in September of 2016. I'm not even going to give you what Sussman said about all this after the trial. There are a lot of reasons it happened. A lot of reasons it happened. It was a weak case to start off with. So what are the nuts and bolts of it? Well, if you're Michael Sussman, he's exonerated. I guarantee you, I know D.C., and then I know federal defense attorneys, and I know he spent some money to get that not guilty verdict. Lots and lots of money. There's a lot that's coming out of that decision. Democracies can't survive without public trust. 
Citizens got to be confident that their elected officials actually represent the interest of the people, at least in broad terms, and that our politicians are not corrupt. They're not self-dealing con men and women. They must believe the courts dispense justice fairly and equally, that there's no, not one set of rules for insiders and another for everyone else. They understand that complex societies require bureaucracies and that those bureaucracies are inherently non-democratic, but they want the bureaucracy's rules and procedures to be subject to laws, and those laws are passed by elected officials, overseen by elected officials, and applied evenly. For transparency, they depend on newspapers and television, and in recent years on websites like this one and social media. These essential elements of stable democracy are encompassed by two words, trust and fairness. For any democracy to thrive, any, doesn't matter which one, wherever, citizens got to trust the four core elements of their government, the executive, the legislative, judicial branches, and the bureaucracies which pass and implement most of the day-to-day rules. A crucial element of that trust is the belief that each individual gets a fair shake. Not some of, not most of. Everyone gets a fair shake. That means you won't be arrested or fined because of the color of your skin or your religion. And if you have to go to court, it means you're going to get a fair trial with an even-handed judge and a jury of your peers. You won't be pilloried by a biased judge who doesn't like your politics. The case will be decided by a jury that weighs the evidence without any prejudice. The public also has a right to see that trials are handed, handled fair without bias. Every one of those basic tenets I just gave to you, every one of them was violated in Sussman's trial for lying to the FBI. We know now that a Washington, D.C. jury found him not guilty, though it is still unclear whether they believed he didn't lie or that the government didn't prove it or that it didn't matter to a politically biased FBI which was determined to investigate anything connected to Trump. We also know something more. The entire case is drenched in the smell, the sulfurous smell. Sulfur stinks. Washington smells like a swamp. This stuff does too. First, we know that Sussman, who was a private lawyer for political operatives, had special access to senior FBI officials. Why? He once worked at the Department of Justice, and he maintained friendships with these officials. He still had a pass to get in the building. He could dash off a text and get a meeting almost immediately with the FBI's top lawyer, James Baker, Later, when the FBI circulated Sussman's allegations, falsely showing Trump was communicating with the Kremlin, they referred to Sussman as the Department of Justice. Under oath, an FBI official called that a typo. Yeah, sure. Second, there's very powerful evidence that Sussman deliberately lied to the FBI's top lawyer. The text message to Baker asking for that meeting explicitly said, Sussman was coming as a good citizen and was not representing a client. Baker said Sussman 
repeated that claim at the beginning of their meeting. Baker, in turn, communicated that assurance to several FBI officials he met immediately after the Sussman meeting. But Sussman was lying. In that meeting, he was representing Hillary Clinton's campaign and aiding another client, Rodney Jaffe, a computer scientist who expected to become Clinton's cyber jar. We know Sussman had a client because he billed the Clinton campaign for the two thumb drives he turned over to the FBI at that meeting. It's clear, but it's not absolutely certain, that Sussman billed the Clinton campaign for the meeting with Baker. The sliver of doubt is that Sussman didn't specifically list the FBI meeting in billing the campaign for his work that day. He listed only a confidential project which is how he repeatedly billed his work for the Alpha Bank Trump table. We also have his testimony, under oath by the way, to a congressional committee that he was representing a client that meeting. In short, the evidence he lied is overwhelming. But he wasn't charged with just spinning a yarn to just anybody. He lied to the FBI. Nobody's supposed to be able to do that without impunity. And then the defense made a case, a devastating point for anybody worried about corrupt law enforcement. They noted the FBI cyber experts quickly recognized the white papers and thumb drive that Sussman gave Baker were garbage. Oh, they may, they may fool someone without any cyber expertise, but not a real es- expert. When the FBI learned that Sussman's material were worthless, The Bureau should have immediately ended its investigation based on what? Based solely on that material that was presented. And they didn't. They didn't. Baker testified that his bosses on the seventh floor, FBI Director James Comey and his number two, Andrew McCabe, were fired up by Sussman's materials And based on that, they authorized a full-scale investigation of the Trump Alpha Bank connection. When the Bureau asked the Chicago field office to look into the Internet data Sussman had given them, leaders at the FBI specifically prohibited the field agents from speaking to anyone who generated the data for Sussman. I wonder why they would do that. Of course, the FBI's approach we know now was fatally biased, corrupt, and partisan. The now familiar hallmarks of St. James Comey's tenure at the Bureau. Bias like that at the nation's top law enforcement agency, that kills democracy. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It may well have played a crucial role in this trial, too. Sussman's defense tried to persuade that the jury... Even if Sussman had lied, it didn't influence the FBI investigation. Why? Because the Bureau was already so opposed to Trump that it didn't need influencing to launch his investigation. The defense's best care was that the FBI would have launched the investigation anyway and simply used the Sussman's threadbare materials as an excuse to do so, like they need something to allow them to investigate. That's what they do. And the way the the feds work, across the feds, FBI, CIA, whatever, whenever they get somebody in there, they wear you out. 
in the Q&A. And it's really not a fair environment to find yourself in. The FBI was undoubtedly biased. But it should have been possible to find a fair-minded jury that Sussman's lie didn't have some influence. But was this jury fair-minded? There's sickening evidence that the presiding federal judge, Christopher Cooper, seated a jury that he knew would strongly favor Sussman, not because they like Sussman, but because he represented Hillary and that he opposed Donald Trump. How did Judge Cooper tilt the scales of justice? He improperly seated three jurors who donated to the very candidate Sussman was trying to help. Those jurors said they could be fair, but there's no way they should have been seated. Special counsel Durham's team argued they should be excluded for cause, and Durham was right. Cooper was wrong, and the only way to explain his decision is his own political bias. This whole case was about a lie that was meant to help Hillary hurt Donald. That means there was a partisan political element at the very heart of the case. That would pose an uphill battle for Durham in any case, since the trial was held in D.C., where Trump received almost no votes. He reviled Washington, D.C., Trump did. So knowing that, the judge should have leaned over backwards to make sure the jury wasn't overly partisan. He did the opposite, and that's unconscionable. He not only seated three donors to Clinton, he seated another who donated to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. AOC may not have been a friend of Hillary's, but she was even more staunchly opposed to Trump than is Hillary. All four of those potential jurors should have been excluded. The stench that surrounds this judge, the defendant, the biased jury in the FBI, ought to outrage the U.S. public, no matter who they supported for president. It makes no difference. In fact, the public has been kept in the dark throughout the trial because the media refuses to report on it. And of course, now they'll jump all over it, which they did last night. When James Baker gave his devastating testimony All three television networks devoted zero, zero minutes to the trial. The New York Times said nothing. They did the same thing the next day when Hillary's campaign manager dropped the bombshell in court that Hillary herself authorized the campaign to spread the Alpha Bank Trump story to the media. What did the media do? Crickets. That media silence is an outrage of all, all time, on its own, sits in a vacuum. Durham's team presented evidence of a massive, well-coordinated and illegal dirty trick concocted by the Clinton campaign, fed into the FBI, and promulgated by a credulous partisan media eager to report that the FBI was invading the Trump-Russia connection. But actually, there were at least two prongs to Hillary's dirty tricks. The second was the Steele dossier. As false as the Alpha Bank story, it too was pitched to the FBI, the Department of Justice, State Department, and of course, the friendly media. The goal? Smear Trump before the 2016 election 
and after his unexpected victory to prevent him from governing. Not kicking him out of the office. They knew they couldn't do that, but they wanted to stop him from governing. Despite the not guilty verdict, the trial revealed the rank odor of Washington politics. It suffuses our courts, our law enforcement bureaucracy, and the mainstream media. It reeks of insider dealing and extreme partisan bias. That stench should alarm anyone and everybody concerned about America's ability to govern itself democratically. That governance requires trust in our institutions, including confidence in our courts, that they can resolve legal matters with fairness and integrity. Who can look at the Sussman affair and retain any confidence that you have in any government in your life? I just don't get it, folks. I don't get it. We have people. There's. I'm incredulous. I don't understand. There are people that do all these things, and they just do it with impunity because nobody holds them accountable. Wow. More big news straight ahead. Stay there. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. And now back to John with the weather. Yes, Andy. Tonight a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you'll get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free! Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free! Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer with every two medium pan Super Supreme. You get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Andy? Don't resist and call 19,000 now. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did, but now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa Box, only at Taco Bell. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. So let me ask you if you have asked a question 
What's going on in Ukraine? Is Russia still there? Have they taken over Ukraine? Have the Russians left Ukraine? Have you noticed? This is all way, way, way at the end of a newscast if there's anything in a newscast about it. I wonder why that is. There, this stuff just doesn't happen. There's got to be a political purpose for this. Why do you think that is? We're going to find out later. I promise you this is going to happen. We're going to find out later that the United States have some type of complicity in some wrongdoing going on in Ukraine other than that horror that we've done building and fueling those biological weapon laboratories all over Ukraine. And they've been there for years. They've been there for years. Other than that, there's something going on. So I thought that uh, we would end up the day-to-day by filling you in on what's going on over there. It's not getting better. The Kremlin yesterday announced that Joe Biden is adding fuel to the fire in the war between Russia and Ukraine. How did he do it? He pledged to send advanced rockets to Kiev. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said he doesn't trust Ukraine not to fire those weapons into Russia, even though Biden promised that the systems would not be used to shoot targets at Ukraine's hostile eastern and northern neighbors. Honestly, that particular thing right there just blows my mind. Peskov, he said he doesn't trust Ukraine not to fire the weapons into Russia, even though Biden had promised they wouldn't be fired into Russia. The big question is, why would we be involved in the decision-making? And I, I understand this because we're the ones giving them to Ukraine. Joe Biden, as president, should have some say-so in how they are used and what's okay and what's not okay. I get that. But this is war, folks. We're not involved in the war. I hope we're not involved in the war. If we're going to give something to somebody, it's not a gift if we give it to them with strings attached. That's a loan. We're loaning it to him. There's only one explanation for this. Biden does not want Ukraine, despite the fact that every day Russia is bombing and rocketing all over Ukraine, people getting killed, their lives change forever if they don't get killed. And Joe Biden takes liberties to weigh into this conversation like he really knows best. We believe that the United States is purposefully and diligently adding fuel to the fire. This is Peskov. The U.S. is obviously holding the line that it will fight Russia to the last Ukrainian. So when asked how Russia would respond if Ukraine does use U.S.-supplied rockets to strike on Russian soil, Peskov said, let's not talk about worst-case scenarios. Now, what Biden's doing is part of a $700 million weapon package from the U.S. to provide Ukraine with advanced rocket systems that can strike with precision at long-range Russian targets, but only after getting assurances they would not use the missiles to strike inside Russia. Why have the missiles inside Russia if Russia doesn't want them there? Do we really need them there? These rockets have a range of about 50 miles. 
Biden said Tuesday night he would be arming Ukraine with more advanced rocket systems and munitions. That's in an op-ed published this morning on the New York Times. And it outlines what America will and will not do in Ukraine. White House officials insist the use of the medium-range rocket system will be restricted to defense use only in Ukraine. The Ukrainians have given us assurance they will not use these systems against targets in Russian territory, and so based on those assurances, we're very comfortable they won't do it. Yeah, we trust everybody. Every great oral leader, you know, one that invaded unprovoked a sovereign nation, and it's still going on. The White House said it would not be providing Ukraine with longer-range systems. Biden's opinion editorial was published on the eve of the announcement of the 11th package of security assistance for the war in Ukraine. 11 different packages. Just suppose, just suppose we could get the exact numbers and even get a video of it being shot while this exchange of hands and along with it comes the exclusivity on a bunch of things, but Joe Biden is giving the Ukrainians these weapons, but he's telling the Ukrainians you can't use them to defend yourself if it means shooting some rockets across the border. So what does that tell the Russians? Hey, they're not going to shoot over there, so let's just get up as close on the border as we can and launch our offensives from just across the border. That package worth $700 million includes HMARs, High Mobility Artillery Rocket Systems, ammo, counterfire radars, a number of air surveillance uh, radars, additional javelins, anti-armor weapons, more artillery rounds, several helicopters, additional tactical vehicles, and a spare parts package. I I just can't go on without mentioning this. We're sending $700 million more. Last week or the week before, we sent $40 billion. We just watched 21 people in a Uvalde, Texas school get slaughtered last week. And it was because the measures that needed to be put in place at that school hadn't been done yet. How far could $40 billion go in retrofitting our school campuses to make them secure so we don't see and experience any more of these mass shootings? $40 billion to a presidential administration is beans. It's not beans. You understand their perception is it's beans. They're spending multiple trillions of dollars and if you ever want to blow your blow your mind, let me give you something you can do a Google search with. How long ago was 100 years? How long ago was it 50 years? It will blow your mind about how big that is. One trillion is uncalculable. You cannot just sit down and figure it out. It's a thousand, it's a thousand billions is one trillion. A thousand billions is one trillion. How much is a billion? 
A billion seconds ago, Jesus worked, walked on earth. So we gave 40 times that to Ukraine last week. What could we do with that 40 billion to keep our kids safe? They keep screaming and hollering, and I'll circle back just for a second to the gun control thing. They keep circling back, circling back. It's a guns, it's a guns, it's a guns. No, it's not. But there will always be evil people out there. There will always be guns. I don't care what they do with their lock them up or take them away or make them illegal or what. I don't care what they do. They are not going to get guns from everybody that owns them legally. And of course, illegally, they're not enforcing the law, the government, the law enforcement, the federal level, many at the state and local level. They are caught up in this defund the police movement that has kind of morphed back to, well, we're not going to defund them. We're just going to tighten it down really aggressively on them to keep them from doing anything controversial that's going to end up in something like we saw in Uvalde, Texas last week. You know, a sycophant, they always have an explanation for what they're doing. Always. There's an excuse. It's really not an explanation. Joe Biden, I would like to say he's the master of that. Well, he's not. (laughs) He does it all the time, but he is not good at selling it to people. He gets in their faces and he spews this venom and he expects everybody just to step in line, swallow what he says, hook, line, and sinker, and just move on down the road. This is the United States of America. Americans don't just head on down the road, Mr. President. We're geared, we're focused in on, and we want true leadership And don't talk about it. Show us true leadership. That's what we want. So back back to Ukraine. Russia has lost another colonel in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin's top brass continue to suffer heavy casualties. Vladimir Putin didn't anticipate anything like this in this invasion. This guy is Lieutenant Colonel Zaur Demayev. Deputy Commander of the 4th Battalion of the Akhmat Kadro Special Forces Regime. He was killed Tuesday by an artillery barrage in the Donbass region. Demiyov was riding in a military SUV through the village, a village of Luhansk, when it was hit by Ukrainian shell. That's according to the site, which is thought to have links to Russian intelligence. The commander, a friend of feared Chechen warlord Ramzan Katarov was said to have been killed instantly alongside his driver. Two Chechen police officials were also said to have been killed with another four wounded. Their conditions are not clear. Chechen special forces, known colloquially as Katarites after their leader, have increasingly been dragged into combat in Ukraine after Russia's military was mauled, failing to take Kiev. Videos show they were heavily involved in fighting in Mariupol and have also been involved in trench warfare in Donbass alongside the armed forces of the so-called Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics. High-ranking commanders have also been dragged into the bloodshed, thought to be because poor organization, 
has forced them to the front to oversee the fighting. What we're seeing playing out in Ukraine with the Russians and the Ukrainians, it's a whole lot like what's going on down at our southern border. We got the people. We have the people. And we have at the top level the ability to draw down on whatever equipment, war power, anything they need. We can get it for them. We can do it pretty quickly. So it's out there, but we're not drawing on the resources. It's just happening out there. And people are dying as you can't even really imagine in Ukraine right now. Have you forgotten about the January 6th committee? Well, guess what? They're still after it. So the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot They've extended the deadline for Representative Jim Jordan, who you know is a Republican from Ohio. They've extended the deadline for Jordan to comply with a subpoena they sent to him, laying out in a letter its fullest accounting yet of the information it would like for him to talk to them about. This note to Jordan comes after he wrote a six-page letter to the panel demanding to see the bulk of evidence it has compiled concerning his actions after the 2020 presidential election leading up to the January 6th certification of its results. The letter outlines eight topics on inquiry, including previously unreported efforts by Jordan to reach then-Attorney General Bill Barr the day before the 2020 election was called and to speak with President Trump's then-Chief of Staff Mark Meadows about efforts to pressure Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf to audit his state's election results. Representative Benny Thompson, he's from Mississippi. He's a Democrat, of course. He's the chairman of the select committee. He pointed to prior comments from Jordan saying he would only be able to answer questions about actions beyond the scope of his official duties. With all due respect, we believe you can provide much more than that, Thompson wrote. The letter otherwise creates a timeline of Jordan's actions over the roughly two months between the election and the certification of its results. It points to previously reported meetings Jordan attended at the White House to plan its strategy for January 6th, as well as another meeting with Trump campaign lawyers. Both took place in mid-November 2020. It also notes an interview with the Department of Justice's former Deputy Attorney General, who said that Trump had told officials there in December that Jordan was trying to find out what happened with regards to his allegations of voter fraud. Later that month, he would participate in another meeting with the Trump legal team and lawmakers to discuss the strategy for opposing the certification of the election results. Finally, it notes that Jordan spoke with the president for about 10 minutes, around 9.30 on the morning of January 6th, and again after being evacuated to safety during the riot. Given that you have said all along, I have nothing to hide, we expect you would be willing to clarify these statements for us. In other words, he's putting something out there basically in the hands of the president and saying, hey, hey, let's get together. We want to clarify all this stuff. Benny Thompson's letter picks apart legal arguments from Jordan's letter last week, which repeated oft-used Republican arguments that the committee was not properly formed 
and does not have a legislative purpose. All have largely been rejected by the courts. There you go. The thing is not over. I know you expected to get rid of it really quickly. You know, we all did. We wanted it to go away. We didn't want it to happen in the first place, but it did. It did. So guess what President Biden has done? He's trying to make a peace agreement with the manufacturers of baby formula. The White House said Biden would host a roundtable with leaders of manufacturers Byheart, Bubs Australia, Reckitt, Perigo Company, and Gerber. Associated Press reports the list has one notable omission. Abbott Nutrition, the company where Michigan plant was shut down in February over safety concerns, sparking the shortage across the United States. Biden will have it aside Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra is not a doctor, no medical experience. He's a, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer, so he's not an expert. But he's portrayed, and he portrays himself as just that. The meeting's expected to give an update on what the administration has dubbed Operation Fly Formula. What's that about? To import formula from overseas so we can get food for our babies. The White House claimed Biden's administration made the baby formula crisis a top priority as early as February. Jen Psaki said that. She said it even happened. They were in full speed mode to check this out and get it taken care of even before Biden was not elected but uh, was sworn into office on January 6th. He's still... He is still working on the supply chain crisis that he didn't start, but oh my gosh, did he exacerbate it or whatever. It was not wonderful at the time, but it was that time of year principally, going into a winter. And as you can imagine, those shipping trips that those boats take, primarily from China and other parts of Southeast Asia, they're on the water a long time. There's no way around that. The only substitute would be if instead of putting them on a boat to come over here, sending cargo jets to fly them over here. Talk about expensive. You think sending something on a boat is expensive? Try to send something like that in a plane. Oh my gosh. I just don't get it. There's no way it's going to happen. I'm tired of people just getting involved in things in D.C. that they have no business getting involved in. I never could understand why all the way through this Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she stayed in front of microphones and TV cameras, doing interviews, talking to people. This inflation thing is transitory. I'm not even sure we're ever going to get in a bad situation. We are the American people. We know how to cope with our problems. We have access to a lot of money, so we're all going to be okay. She stayed there. She never would even admit. In fact, in several meetings, she confronted the people asking her the questions, telling those people, you really don't have a right to talk to me that way. At that particular time, when she was nominated by Joe Biden to be the Treasury Secretary, she was working for the Federal Reserve. 
There's a lot of similarity there, but there's a lot of differences there. And Americans need to understand that. Sometimes things aren't what they seem. In this case, she didn't have a clue and still doesn't. Are we going to have a recession? Inflation? Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are some mates other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and some mates new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sun-made snacks. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but... When something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Well, 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 well. Isn't it interesting to learn all these things? Isn't it interesting with impunity, many of our leaders in our nation, they tell us things, they deny things, they make things happen without our knowledge, without our understanding, without our approval, without being authorized by the people, maybe even the people's representatives. They make these decisions that often involves tens of billions of dollars. But more importantly, most of these decisions come with the price of life. Think about it. The government is supposed to and works only on the things that are best for the United States of America and its citizens. That includes legislation, agreements, foreign policy, working with other countries' leaders around the world, trying to stop any kind of military incursion to be impacted by a relationship with a foreign foe that is not a foreign foe until they get their panties in a wad and they want to go to war with us. And even when that happens, even when we get involved in war, we need to be very careful getting in. And we need to be sure that we've got a great window. And if and when, if and when, there is a necessity to do that. We're able to do it without a problem. And nobody's going to pay a price. Nobody. It's going to be a smooth operation. That just doesn't work in this government. It is not structured for that to happen. We have people at the top that think because they're at the top, they're endowed to make a decision for and by and about everything with no input from those they represent. 
Americans are tired of that. You guys have a great day. It's hump day. Hey, hey, hey. Hump day. Don't forget, we'll see you every Monday through Friday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Little happy song. Clap your hands. See you tomorrow. This is that ice cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls, straight masterpieces. Styling, wildin', living it up in the city. Got chucks on with Saint Laurent. Gotta kiss myself, I'm so pretty. I'm too hot. Call the police and the firemen. I'm too hot. Make a dragon wanna retire, man. I'm too hot. Said you hallelujah, girl. Said you hallelujah, girl. Said you hallelujah. Cause uptown funk gon' give it to you. Cause uptown funk gon' give it to you. Cause uptown funk gon' give it to you. Saturday night and we in the spot. Don't believe me, just watch. Jump on it if you've sexed and flown it.